Amen. Awesome. Acts chapter 20 tonight, as we continue our series through the book of Acts. While you're finding Acts 20, just a reminder, if you sponsored a child uh, in Mexicali to get those gifts back as quickly as you possibly can, hopefully you've gotten those back already. Uh, They need those gifts back so that they can start packing it up and all of that to get it ready to go down to Mexicali. If you did not get a chance to sponsor a child, but you'd like to donate in some way, they can always use some cash donations for the tariffs and other expenses to get this stuff across the border. You can certainly make out a check to Mexicali Children's Ministry or something just to let us know. You can put it in the offering. You can put it back there in the box on the table where the Christmas tree for the Mexicali children is, uh, if you want to help out in some way. Also, uh, I wanted to uh, remind all of you that on Saturday morning, December the 2nd, so it's the first Saturday of December, we are putting up our Christmas decorations here at the Oasis, and we need a group effort, as we always do every year. So if you could show up on Saturday morning, December the 2nd at 9, 8.30, 8.30, sorry, that would be awesome. Hopefully they'll have you out of here by around noon, okay? Uh, Usually takes about three hours or so to get everything up. I wanted to add this. If you were here Sunday, you probably noticed it was pretty crowded. Um, We had a very large attendance and we are growing. I want to ask leaders, please, leaders of our church to, because I sort of, we've sort of relaxed this for a while, but probably many of you notice when you come on to our church campus that there's always those that park up here in the dirt lot. Uh, Our worship team does that. We do that. Others, if you are a leader here, Would you consider parking up there on Sunday? We only had five spaces left in our parking lot on Sunday. So we're going to need, as we move forward, some extra space uh, for cars. It's a good problem, right? Um, So if you would consider parking up there uh, on Sunday, that would be awesome to free up some other spaces here around the church. All right. Before we get into Acts chapter 20, I want to say this. What we will find in Acts 20 are what I call rhythms and patterns to the godly people and to the godly leaders that we see in the first century church. And I want to especially talk for just a moment about rhythm. God created us in a way to live life in rhythm. Now, it doesn't mean that there won't be times in our life that God will come in and change the rhythm of our life. But you and I were created by God to live in rhythm. That's how you and I live optimally. And that's true physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That's why, like, you know, they say... The best thing for us to do 
is to go to bed at a certain time every night, to wake up at a certain time every day, to eat at a certain time, to, to have that rhythm of life. It, it helps, right? Instead of being all over the place. We were created that way. That's why God, when he created the world, says, I'm going to give you seven days. The sun's going to come up in the morning. It's going to go down in the evening. You're going to have 24 hours. You're going to have cycles. You're going to have a rhythm to life. We have to live in that rhythm spiritually. God wants us to develop a rhythm of living life with him because the enemy will try to disrupt that rhythm all the time. Because the enemy knows if they're constantly living out of rhythm, they're not going to be living optimally. You and I have to be conscious of that. Now, I realize there are seasons and there are times in our life where our life gets turned upside down and those rhythms have to be relaxed, but we should strive to live in rhythm. I mean, even if you're not musical, you and I have enough understanding to know that if Nicole came up here and led us in a worship song, and throughout the song, she continued throughout the song to change the rhythm of the song. That would be extremely challenging and difficult to follow. The rhythm starts and it should be constant throughout. That helps us to stay with it, right? The same thing is true in our lives. God wants us to learn to develop rhythm in our life and to stay with that rhythm until he changes it. So what do we see in Acts 20? We see people living in rhythm and patterns. And I want to share a few of those. We're not going to cover the entire chapter tonight, but we're going to begin in the first 12 verses. And I want you to look at some of these rhythms, if you will, of the godly people of the book of Acts. Notice we start out in Acts 20 where it says, after the uproar or disturbance had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them and saying farewell, he left to go to Macedonia. After he had gone through those regions and spoken many words of encouragement to the believers there, he came to Greece. Notice in the first two verses the words encouraging, verse 1, and encouragement, verse 2. They lived in continual encouragement. There was an environment and a rhythm of encouragement in their lives. They were able to encourage others because they were placing themselves in the rhythm and the environment of being encouraged continually. We've talked about this. I even just said this just a few weeks ago. All of us need continual encouragement. Nobody ever gets enough encouragement. We need to put ourselves in a place where rhythmically we are being encouraged so that then we can turn around and be an encouragement. Because only those who are living in encouragement are going to be able to have the capacity to be able to continually encourage others. By the way, these two words are a very familiar word to us in the Greek language. It is the Greek word parakaleo. It's the exact same word that God uses to name, if you will, or describe the Holy Spirit. He is our parakaleo, our one who comes alongside of us, who is very near to us, and who encourages, 
comforts, you know, he's called by Jesus, the comforter. When I go away, I will send the comforter, Greek word, parakaleo. I will send the encourager, the strengthener, the, the, the comforter, the helper, the assister, the support. Call it whatever you will. They're all applicable. And that's exactly what was happening here. Everywhere that Paul went, what was he doing? Encouraging. Encouraging. He lived a life to encourage others, but that meant that Paul had to live in encouragement as well, you see. So first of all, we see continual encouragement. Then we see adaptability. Notice it says in verse 3, he stayed there in Greece for three months because the Jews then had made a plot against him as he was intending to sail for Syria. He decided to return through Macedonia. There's a change in plans. There's not only continual encouragement, there's a change of plans. And Paul lived always with a plan, but he was also always open to adapting those plans, to changing those plans based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit and the circumstances that he was presented with. You and I need to be adaptable people. God wants us to live, to be adaptable to whatever comes our way, to not be so stiff, if you will, and rigid in the way that we live. In a sense, what he's looking for is is pliability, if you will, in in our inner person, so that he can say, hey, I I want you to do this, I want you to go, and and we're able to do that. It's not like, nope, I'm locked down, God, this this is what I'm doing, and this is the way I'm doing it, and, and this is the only way. No, God wants us to learn to be adaptable, to be pliable. Uh, it's the way he wants that rhythm in our life. So the, it's okay to have plans. We need to have plans, but always be open to what God wants. We try to do that here at the Oasis. Nicole and I come every Sunday and Wednesday with a plan, but we also... In that plan, always say, God, last thing is whatever you want. And if if we get up here and God starts to go, no, I want you to go this way or that way, we're just going to go that way. Because God wants even within our plans for us to be adaptable to his leading and guiding and moving. Then next, verse 4, they're traveling companions. Paul never did anything on his own. He had a team. He had partnerships. He he had people that would accompany him and go with him. And you see all of their names there in verse 4. Besides choosing to place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, the most important decisions we will ever make in our life that shape us besides Jesus is who our traveling companions are throughout life. Meaning, who we choose to be together with as family, who we choose as our friends. I mean, the Bible says, those that walk with the wise will be wise. Iron sharpens iron, but a companion of fools suffers harm. The Bible over and over again tells us that not only does Jesus shape us, but that 
we are very much shaped by the people that we spend time with the most and who we surround ourselves with. That's why it's very important that we make sure that we are surrounding ourselves with the right traveling companions. Because that will make a total difference in the trajectory of our life. Four, there was a set day to come together. Notice verse seven. On the first day of the week, that's when we met to break bread and to come together in worship. We've already talked about this. That's why we worship the God and come together on Sunday rather than Saturday. Saturday was the Sabbath day for the Jewish people. But when the early church began, in order to celebrate and commemorate the resurrection of Jesus, which happened on Sunday, they began meeting on Sunday. And they developed a rhythm in their life that every Sunday they would come together to worship the Lord. That's what the church is all about. Remember, the word church is the Greek word ekklesia. It means a called out people, meaning God calls us out from our individual homes to come together and to assemble together. That's literally what the word church means. If we're not assembling together regularly, then we're not being the church. I mean, you can be a part of the church by being a Christian and being saved, but you're not really being part of the church as God designed it because God says, I want my church to come together regularly, consistently, in a rhythmic pattern of living life. So we see continual encouragement. We see adaptability, being willing to change plans. We see traveling companions. We see a set day to come together. And finally, at the end of this passage, you have this great story of Paul. This is the last time he thinks he's going to see these people. So he's preaching up a storm, right? And he's in this home. And the home is filled from top to bottom with people who's listening to the Apostle Paul and he's waxing eloquent, right? He's, he's expounding the scriptures and he just keeps on preaching for hours. Makes you appreciate me a little bit better, doesn't it? <laughs> I preach for a while, but I don't preach for hours. In fact, he preached so long, he preached into the night and this young boy, from the wording, it's somewhere between eight and 12 years of age, literally fell asleep and fell out of the second story window and dropped dead on the ground. So what's Paul do? Paul goes down and raises him from the dead. And so my final point is there were evidences of God's power. Evidences of God's power. And we see, have seen this throughout the book of Acts. Because where the Holy Spirit is, there will be evidences of God's power. Remember what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will also receive power to be my witnesses. So you can't have the Holy Spirit in you and not have accompanying supernatural power inside of you. And that power is going to come out somehow if we're walking in the Spirit and we're living in the Spirit. Now, that power may not necessarily have to always be a miracle. 
In fact, to me, maybe the hardest miracle, if you will, is just to live a consistent Christian life every day and live for the Lord. But there will be evidences of God's power, and you see this rhythm throughout the book of Acts. So now let's go down, beginning in verse 18. I want to also tonight place before you a pattern for what I call godly leaders or leadership. Because Paul is using himself here and setting forth an example for other godly leaders and those in the church who aspire to godly leadership. And so I want to share these with all of us tonight because even if you're not in leadership, these principles are good for every follower of Jesus Christ, but especially for those who want to be in leadership, who are in leadership, who desire to be in leadership. These are the things we should aspire to. Notice verse 18. When they arrived, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I set foot in the province of Asia. So in other words, he's saying, I lived my life before you. My life was an open book. How can we influence others if we're in hiding? We've got to be out there. We've got to be willing to put ourselves out there in front of people. Does that mean we're going to be open to criticism and challenges? and op- Absolutely. We've seen that throughout the book of Acts. But you're also not ever going to impact or influence anybody either. You've heard me say this before. You can impress somebody from a distance, but you can only impact them up close. Paul always lived amongst the people of God so that he could be an example, so that he could be an influence and make an impact. So first one, verse 19, first pattern of a godly leader, a servant's heart. Notice what he says, first of all, serving the Lord. And that word serving literally means I lay aside what I want, my will and all that to accomplish the will of God of another, in this case, the will of God. Paul, in a sense, is saying, like Jesus, I wake up every morning, I wrap myself around with a servant's apron or towel, as Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet. Jesus Christ, even the Son of God, did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord of glory, spent his whole life here on earth serving. If Jesus Christ lived his life as a servant, how much more should you and I be willing to live our lives as a servant? If we're too proud to serve, then how does that, you think, make a a statement to our God who was not above serving. In fact, he will even be serving throughout eternity, and so will we. A servant's heart. God wants to create in all of us a servant's heart. A heart that doesn't look at our service as 
simply acts of service that we do every once in a while, but literally it's just the way we live our lives from the time we wake up every morning to the time we go to bed. We live as an offering saying, God, whatever you need of me this day, whatever you want of me this day, I am your servant. I place myself at your disposal. I am a living sacrifice, as Paul said to the Romans in Romans 12. I crawl up willingly on that altar every day, and I die to self, and I give myself to you. I mean, have we not sung about that tonight? Jesus, have it all. Jesus, I'm yours. Whatever you want, Jesus, I am your humble servant. Speaking of humble, notice the next pattern of a godly leader, a humble heart. Not just a servant's heart, a humble heart. Paul said, serving the Lord with all humility. Being humble isn't thinking less of ourselves than we should. It's thinking rightly of ourselves. It's seeing ourselves rightly in relationship to God and to others. We are not better than anyone else. But we're also not less than anyone else, you see. Humble, humble. We need more humility in the body of Christ. We need more humility in the church. We need especially more humility amongst leadership in the church. I have been in rooms with pastors, and I, I, I just sit there going, wow, All these guys think pretty highly of themselves. They're all the smartest guys in the room. I'm feeling pretty dumb. But it's okay to be humble. It's okay not to think too much of ourselves. God uses people like that. In fact, if you read the Bible all the way through, you find that the people that God tapped and used throughout the Bible were those that were humble. They, 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 when God came to them or sent an angel, they went, well, God, it's about time. I'm glad you finally saw all the greatness that was in me. No, it was just the opposite. It was like, who am I? I mean, even, you know, we're coming up to the Christmas season, and you think of even the reaction of, of Joseph and Mary, that God chose them to be the parents of, of the Lord. And, and what was Mary's reaction like? I'm just your humble handmaid and servant. You know. Mary didn't think too much of herself. God chose the lowly and the humble to work through. That's God's pattern. And that is part of the pattern of a godly leader. Notice also, though, Paul goes on to say, verse 19, with tears. That means that a godly leader is someone who's emotionally invested, who cares, who can be touched, who has empathy and sympathy. You know, our high priest Jesus, even he, the Bible says, can feel what we feel, can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, has empathy, has sympathy. That's part of what is needed in 
in godly people and godly leaders are those who are emotionally invested in others and, and care enough that sometimes there's tears. In fact, you see Paul even mention this over in verse 31. Look at this. At the end of verse 31, he says, I did not stop warning each one of you with tears. Paul got emotional. He was a feeling person. He wasn't some cold, just analytical, you know, head is it. He, he was head and heart. And his heart was affected. It was touched by those that he ministered with and that he ministered to. Do we love others enough to care enough about them that we're touched and that we're moved? You know, we are called as God's people to weep with those who are weeping and to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. That's emotion, folks. And I got to tell you, it's been a growth in me because I grew up in church as a very young child. And I grew up in a, in a church environment, in a spiritual environment that was very unemotional. In fact, if you showed any emotion, people looked at you funny. And so I felt like I grew up where I, I, I couldn't be happy in church. I couldn't be sad in church. I couldn't be anything in church. I just better just sit there and be still. So it's been a growth in me to, to be emotional and allow my emotions to come out. And I think especially as a man, I just want to encourage you men, never be ashamed to show your emotion. It's not a lack of masculinity at all. That just means God has touched our heart and we're moved by something. And that's okay. Notice next, not only a servant's heart, a humble heart and emotionally invested, but notice what he says in verse 20. You know that I did not hold back. And he even repeats this phrase again. Look at verse 27. For I did not hold back from announcing to you the whole purpose of God. The phrase did not hold back means Paul was all in. He was fully engaged and focused in what God wanted him to do. He was literally pouring himself out every day. He didn't hold anything back. Back many years ago when I played sports, especially football, one of the phrases we would use and our coaches would use is, let everything out there on the field. Don't, don't come back into the locker room at the end of the game with anything left. You, when you go out there on that game, you lay it all on the line and you give everything you've got so that when you leave the field after four quarters, you are totally spent and exhausted because you've given everything. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I went out there into the arena, the spiritual arena every day, and I didn't hold anything back. I gave everything. I poured myself out into what I did, holding nothing back. Oh, that we would live that way consistently. By the way, this phrase also, and this is important too, also means to live with no retreat, to keep pressing on no matter the obstacles, no matter the challenges, no matter the opposition. No retreat. 
Keep pressing on. Another pattern for godly leadership, verse 22, living and serving in partnership with the Spirit. Verse 22, Paul says, and now compelled, constrained by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. He was knit so tightly to the Spirit that the Spirit could move in him and say, Paul, now do this or go here, and Paul would do it because he was continually living in partnership with the Spirit. God wants us to live in partnership with the Spirit of God who lives within us, and that's especially essential in godly leaders. We must live in partnership with the Spirit of God. In fact, it's really only by living in partnership with the Spirit of God that we will have a servant's heart, that we will have a humble heart, that we will be willing to be emotionally invested, and that we will be willing to be fully engaged and focused on what God has for us. Because it's the Spirit that will bring all that about. A couple other things. Verse 24. I do not consider my life worth anything to myself. Now that doesn't mean that Paul doesn't think anything of himself, that he thinks his life is of no value. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, it's not about me. In order to be especially a godly leader, we've got to live selflessly. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, it's not about what I want It's not about pushing my agenda. It's not about what I think and what my opinion is and what's best for me. It's about the glory of God and the benefit and blessing of my fellow brothers and sisters. That's what it's about. That's another pattern that Paul lived by. And that's hard. I think that's why Jesus said every day, You and I, as God's followers, have to get up every day and deny ourselves very intentionally and take up our cross and follow him. Because Jesus said, daily. (laughs) Die to self daily. Because one day I could die to self and the next day it could be all about me. That's just the way it is unless we make a determination that that's the way it's going to be. It's not going to be about me today. Lord, it's going to be about you, and it's going to be about... Now, again, that doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves. That doesn't mean we don't watch out for ourselves, because what good are we going to be to others if we have nothing left? If physically, emotionally, and spiritually, we don't take care of, again, what we need by, again, putting ourselves in an environment where we can be strengthened and encouraged and and grow and, and all of that, we need that. Because it's only out of the overflow of our life with God that we can truly be effective in ministering and serving to others. So it's not about saying, well, we just don't, you just don't care about yourself at all. That's not the point. But especially when it comes to those choices and decisions we make sometimes where it's like, well, this is what I want, but You know what? It's not about what I want. It's not my will. It's about his will. It's about what brings the most honor and glory to him. So I'm going to lay aside my right. I'm going to lay aside what I want, 
and I'm going to be Christ-like in this moment, and I'm going to yield to God, or I'm going to yield to my brother or sister in Christ instead of it being about me. That's what Paul means by, I do not consider my life worth anything to myself. And why is Paul sharing this pattern of a servant's heart, a humble heart, emotionally invested, fully engaged and focused, partnered with the Holy Spirit, and selfless? Look at the end of verse 24. So that I may finish my task and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Paul knew his purpose, and he lived out that purpose every single day. And Paul didn't want to just start well. Notice, Paul wanted to end well or finish well. That's the key word, that I may finish, that I may see something through to the end. Paul's saying, God gave me a mission. God gave me an assignment. And I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to pause until the assignment that God has given me is completely finished. I'm going to see it through to the end. God wants all of us to live that way. And again, this verse is also an encouragement to us that you may not have started very well in your Christian walk or in your Christian life. So what I want to say to you again tonight is this. It's not as important how you start your race as how you finish. And you and I all now have an opportunity in our life to finish well. There have been many runners when I used to run long distance who started out those long distance races and marathons really well. Man, they shot like they shot out like a cannon way out there. And after a couple miles, they either dropped out or they had nothing left in the tank. You and I need to remember we're not in a sprint here. We're in a marathon and we've got to pace ourselves but we also just got to keep making progress because our desire should be like Paul's desire. God, I want to finish well. I want to be able to say these words that Paul said. Let me share them with you tonight from the book of 2 Timothy. Paul said, For I am already being poured out as an offering. And the time for me to depart is at hand. I have competed well. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. And the Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have set their affection on his appearing. I love that. Paul says, all of us can be in on this. If we are setting our affection on his coming, on his appearing, that more than anything else, like John said at the end of the book of Revelation, even so, Lord Jesus, come. 
I don't need any more time on this earth. Jesus, you come and you make things right. You set yourself up as king and you rule because that's what all of us really need. We need Jesus just to take over the world and make things right because there will be no peace on earth until the Prince of Peace is sitting on his throne. And so Paul says, that could be true for all of us. And I hope that is true for all of us. So in Acts chapter 20, we have this great rhythm and pattern that the early church lived by. And God wanted it included in his word so that even 2,000 years later, you and I have a rhythm and pattern to be able to look at and go, okay, I got a template to follow. I've got something to sink my teeth into and to aspire to and attain to as a person of God and as a leader in the church of God. Here's the deal. Those people inspired the people around them and were examples to them as they even are to us. But guess what? There are people watching your life and my life. There are people that are noticing how we live and what our values and priorities are. And we have a real opportunity here, folks, to make a great impact and be a tremendous positive influence in this community, in this world in which we live. And we're doing something, but God wants us to realize that he can use us in even greater ways. We just need to make ourselves available to him every day. And if we do that as a church body, watch God work. Because God is already at work here. Watch what God will really do if we all are on board with God's plan. Father, we thank you so much for this time we could have in your house tonight, this time of worship, this time in your word, this time of fellowship and, and food And God, through it all, we are reminded that all of it is only because of you. You make it special. You make every day special. And it's all because of you that we have all that we have and will have all that we will ever have. So, Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to come and die for us. Thank you for loving us enough to rise from the dead and conquer death and hell and sin and all of that so that, Lord, we could live in victory and live in hope and live in joy and live in peace. And God, I pray today that all of us will leave here tonight with gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts for you, God, and for all that you've given us in our lives. We are a blessed people. And may we thank you and live in gratitude every day for what we have through you, Jesus. These things we pray in your precious name. Amen. God bless. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.